Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. It's true. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, what day is today? Well, it's Wednesday. It's August 12th. And thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. I appreciate patrons of the program as well, like David, Jeff, and Nicole, Michelle, and Nick, David again, and Josh, Andy and Paul, Beth and Al, Mike and David again, and Patrick. Just for the record, those are three different Davids. Uh, thanks so much for becoming patrons of the program. They got cool stuff. They get access to exclusive content. You can, too, by going to thepetecalendarshow.com and clicking the link. Or I also have conveniently placed links in the description of the podcast. So if you're listening uh, to the radio, you got to go to thepetecalendarshow.com. If you are listening on a podcasting platform of some kind, then the links are already provided to you right there. I am a giver. What can I say? Uh, the show is also made possible by sponsors such as General Equipment Rental. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, home of the Karcher Misting System with Vital Oxide Disinfectant. What does that mean for you? Well, if you are a business owner uh, or a homeowner and you want to sanitize and disinfect your either place of business or your domicile, then this is the misting system you need to get. Uh, well, you rent. You rent it, and then you give it back to them. That's the beauty of general equipment rental. You don't have to go out and shell out all the money for this system. It is about the size of a shop vac. It's on four wheels, and you roll it around. It's cordless. And this vital oxide disinfectant is an all-in-one hospital-grade EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant sanitizer and deodorizer i know it does everything it kills 99 percent of infection causing bacteria and viruses including coronavirus as well as e coli and norovirus and influenza b and h1n1 and MRSA. it also gets rid of uh, mold and mildew and fungus you don't have to rinse anything afterwards because it's non-toxic it's hypoallergenic odorless colorless and 100% biodegradable. It's safe for kids and pets and food contact surfaces. And you rent it, you use it, and then you're good for like a week to 10 days. And then all, all you got to worry about is like spot cleaning some of your high traffic areas. But this thing will sanitize in areas that like, let's be honest, you're probably not cleaning regularly. Okay. So if you come in with this thing, Spray it, out, spray it all down, and you're good to go for a week to 10 days. They are also your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. So general equipment rental, family-owned and operated for three generations. They meet all of your equipment rental needs, okay? They're in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Go to generalrents.com. Check out the Mister. Check out all of the other things they have available. And if you go to generalrents.com slash Pete, get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings. I've got one from them. It's by far my favorite. It's super lightweight, comfortable, and uh, easy to adjust the ear straps. So generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. WLOS is reporting that authorities... 
uh, have arrested six people and four officers got injured during protests in downtown Asheville over the weekend. And joining me now is Rondell Lance. He is the president of the local Fraternal Order of Police. And uh, welcome, Mr. Lance. How are you, sir? Thank you. Doing fine. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on your show and to speak. Thank you so, oh, absolutely. so much. Absolutely. So first off, uh, the FOP, um, it is, uh, it's not just for the city of Asheville and APD, correct? You've got members from all over Western North Carolina. Is that right? Well, we represent uh, over 300 officers in uh, Buncombe, uh, Madison, Yancey, and in Hendersonville. Now, there's other lodges on west and on south. There's like 45 lodges in the whole state, and our lodge covers those four counties. And we've got 13 different agencies, from state agencies to local agencies, sheriff offices that we represent from our office. So what does the FOP do? Is this is this the, the police union that that everybody is, is talking about nowadays, or is it a, is just like an association? What, what does it do? Well, in North Carolina, uh, we're not allowed, law enforcement is not allowed to have a union to, we're not allowed to collective bargain, uh, we're not allowed to strike. So uh, that's North Carolina's a right to work state, so therefore we're limited in, in those areas. So uh, uh, we're not considered a union, but we, uh, you know, we uh, go to uh, legislating issues with the city, with the county, with the state, even on the federal level issues involving law enforcement uh we do that and uh you know with our local government as well and we do you know we do a youth program that we uh raise money and have youth camps and many youth programs that we do and we provide legal defense for the officers that are uh, that need it in their line of duty legal defense and we provide a death benefit and then we just uh advocate for the officers i mean i've been to raleigh spoke to the senators there i've been to city council meetings buncombe county commissioner meetings and uh we just advocate for the officers and, and uh, support for them and their family uh, families and uh, do what we can to help their job be easier, make sure that the due process is followed whenever an officer is in trouble. And uh, are you your former officer as well? I know you ran for sheriff a few years ago. Um, are you a former officer? Correct. I retired from the Asheville Police Department after 26 and a half years. I was a sergeant uh, when I retired. Gotcha. Um, so, what is your, what's your overall? We'll start general. What's your overall attitude towards this concept of police reform? Just in a general idea, do police departments need reform, and if so, what might be a good idea along those lines? Well, I think definitely there could be some changes made that would uh, help the departments to better serve the community. And so many times, if you hear all the talking points that are out there, you never hear anything coming from the officers that would help the officers. It's what people in different organizations, what they think needs to be done. As president of the FOP, I've never been asked to be on any committee the city or county has put together, never been asked to uh, represent the officers in these committees, and it's all one-sided. Uh, you know, you've got the FOP, which is us, front order police, and you also you've got the PBA, Police Benevolent Association, and they uh, kind of form closely to the same functions that we. But we've never been asked to be part of that conversation. And we've got great ideas. The men and women have got great ideas that could help them better serve the community. But we're never asked that. We're never asked to be part of any uh, solution or any conversation or any uh, committee that's formed. Why do you think that is? 
well, you know, I don't know unless they're afraid to hear the truth, afraid to hear because we won't go along maybe with what they suggest or their programs, what they think, that we might uh, combat some of the issues that they have if they deem it's really necessary. I don't know, but they just, well, the only thing you could gather is they don't want to hear from us. They don't want to hear our side. They do not want to hear what the, the men and women do the job every day, what they think needs to be done to help law enforcement in our area. So what are some ideas that, that would help law enforcement in the area and maybe, uh, I, I don't know, dif- diffuse some of the the anger and animosity that it seems like uh, is directed towards law enforcement now? Right. Well, there's I've come up with four or five different points uh, that I've talked about on radio before and I've talked about before. But the number one point that can solve all of these issues that we're having across the country these two simple words, words, uh, voluntary compliance. If an officer tells you you you're under arrest, put your hands behind your back, let them arrest you, then fight it in court, fight it there. And can you imagine how the narrative would change if these people that have been arrested and fought the police, fought against the police, they just said, "Okay, officer, put your hands behind their back and, and fought their case out in court," rather than trying to fight. The police and uh, you know kill. I mean, we've got already this year, Pete. We've had. Uh, I think it's. I've got. I don't have it in front of me, but I think we've had over 100 shot on the nation. 38, I think, or 35 have been killed this year just by gunfire. So we're concerned too because we've got officers being killed all the time in this country. So uh, when they talk about deaths by law enforcement officers, I'm thinking, what about the deaths of the law enforcement officers? Uh, but. Voluntary compliance would solve every bit of it. But a lot of people you deal with are under influence of alcohol or drugs or have mental issues, mental uh, issues that cause them to overreact. Mm -hmm. So we understand that. But there's several things I think. Number one, uh, the work schedule. Uh, I I worked this right before I retired and are still working it now. You're working 12-hour shifts. The most days that we would have off would be two days in a row. And so you work it. And most of the time on them two days off, on your day off, you either got court once a month hmm. or you've got training. Because we would train just about once a month. You'd have try some type of training. And if you had uh, court and you have to be there in court, they call you in or you're supposed to be there that morning and stay all day till they get all your cases heard So you, on the days off. And you're always continually in that mode, that mindset of being police and handling and dealing with the worst situations that can be handled and, and comes forward. There's no time to step back from your job and take a breath and go, mm-hmm. I need a break. When I first started, the best schedule we had was four days on, four days off. You had a day shift, a night shift, and an evening shift. And they gave you time to step back from the job, step back from the pressure, spend time with your family. You could even work a day or two of secondary, which most officers need to do to be able to make their bills, and still have two days left. And when Chief Hogan came in, question we asked, will you keep that schedule? He said, if it's working, I will. But he changed it, and they've never changed it back. So... You and I worked. You're continually tired. You're continually uh, wore out, and so you get a call at four in the morning, five in the morning. You come in six that evening, 
and here it is four o'clock in the morning, it's hard to maintain that vigilance and that high alert that you need for 12 hours. Yeah, why is that you know, the norm? I've heard this schedule for years. Why is this the norm of a 12-on, 12-off? It saves the city more money, ah. and it's easier. One of the things they told us, they said it's easier to uh, uh, pay that way than to pay the four-on, four-off, and the officers are on, we're on, uh, they get paid once every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's something to do with that, but you know, in 1953, when the FOP started in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, and one of the, it's so funny, one of the main, I've got some of the old pamphlets, one of the main things why they were started were officers were having to work 12-hour shifts, <laughs> and that was too much. And we've come right back, and we're doing it now. Yeah, I mean, a 12-hour shift, uh, you know, time you get off at 6 in the morning, you know, uh, a 12-hour shift ain't bad if you only have to work two and then, then have some time off. And and they consider like if I, I went in at six today, I got off six in, o'clock in the morning. They consider tomorrow a day off. And I've argued for years that's not a day off. I work six hours this day, right? You know, and pay us six hours for that day. You know, so but that would make a big difference. You know, I have a lot of young people that worked with me, and they were four or five in the morning. Their eyes would be so heavy they'd be just, you know. And then you never get out of that mindset. You're just, you work, work. Most of you get off two days and you're right back working 12 hours, 12 hours. So That's I, one of the big changes that, that needs to be made, I think, number one in law enforcement. Right. So, so it's interesting because people may be thinking, well, why is he focusing on the schedule thing? How does that actually impact the interactions that that citizens have with officers? And, like, I can see as one who has worked like long, long hours back to back, but not like what you're talking about, but in the, in, you know, media world, sometimes you just have to do it and you got, you know, holidays or something and your whole schedule is thrown out of whack for days afterwards. If you are forced to work, you know, a couple of those types of days, I couldn't imagine doing it day after day after day. And that, that does wear on you mentally. Right. And especially if you're right. now running people through this same routine constantly, uh, the brain never, uh, the, the brain never gets to rest for a long period of time, and I'm a big believer in unplugging, you know, stopping to sharpen wow. the axe so you can chop more wood. And uh, and the other thing is you can't ever, like you were saying, you, you can't switch off, what is it, hypervigilance or hyper-awareness, right. situational awareness. You, you don't ever turn that off, and that's another level of sort of mental focus that I think a lot of citizens have no experience with, but uh, it, it seems like that's going to have really profound physical, if not only mental, uh, impacts on officers run through that schedule for a long period of time. Well, it does. I, so many officers uh, that I've known, they, you know, you got high blood pressure. They're, you know, and, and this was some of the young officers just been married. They go, I work these 12-hour shifts at night. I'm on night shift. When I'm off, I have to take sleeping medicine to be able to sleep with my wife that goes to bed at 11 or 12 at night because mm-hmm. my body's used to staying up all night. But, but exactly what you said, it, it's more is a mental, you get mentally tired. Your body gets tired, yes, but you get mentally tired. You try to answer, you know, shots, calls, bodies found, suicide, fights, car wrecks, domestics for 12 hours. It's just, you just wires on you. Your mental capacity just gets, you know, and you get to thinking everybody's this way. Everybody is, because that's all you deal with yeah. all the time. And, and it, we call it a quality of life issue to you know, step back 
go with your family on a picnic to a lake to their ball games. And this schedule doesn't allow for that, like you said, that break where you step away from it for three or four days and yeah. catch your breath and re-energize. So is it 12 on, 12 off this, this schedule, and that's the way it goes? Like, is there ever a point where you get to have a full weekend, or is that the way it is for everybody at all levels um, every single month of every no. single year? Well, no, it's just patrol officers. Okay. The ones that are out handling the calls is okay. the ones that work that. And uh, the longest time you get, they say, is three days off. So if you work, they say you're off uh, every other weekend, you're off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but they don't realize you work six hours on Friday because you work off, uh, you know, you go in Thursday at six, and you get off 6 a.m. Friday. So you have to say, I'm not going to sleep all day today, or am I going to have to? You know, then yeah. you're just off Sunday, Monday, you know, and you go back in the next day. But it's just a, the continuation of it and those long hours. I mean, I work it, and it is, I mean, by 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, you're dragging. Yeah, it's brutal. Now, 10 hours, we've done 10 hours a day, and you can pretty much 10 hours. It's amazing, though, Pete, and I've, I've looked at it and studied it and tried it on myself. It's amazing the difference just those two extra hours a day make. Mm-hmm. On, on on your body and on your mind. All right, so and, you know, and your and your way you eat, your meals, all that. But yeah, we understand it's part of the job, right? But we think four on four off would be so much better for the officers as far as their mental capacity and their mental status right. to uh, deal with. I have long situation. said that uh, you mentioned something a minute ago, and I have and it struck home with me because I have long said that if you are constantly having interactions with people and every single one of them lie to you, how long does it mm-hmm. take for you to start thinking that everybody lies, <laughs> right? right? Because every even right. a, even someone, you know, look, uh, nowadays I have a different mindset. When I was younger, I would get pulled over for speeding, and the officer would ask me, do you know why I pulled you over? And I would always say, no, I have no idea. I knew darn well why he pulled me over. Right. Right, and he knows right. that I know that, but everybody lies, and uh, and so now it, it, it now that I'm older, like I recognize what what kind of an impact that has on somebody constantly interacting with everybody, and everybody always starts off with a lie, and ha- like how do you how do you keep that from sort of calcifying in your mind that now everybody is is not telling the truth at all times? How do you how do you get that out of your head? Oh, you know. That's amazing. I've, I've heard them say, I swear on my mama's grave. I swear <laughs> on my kid's grave. I swear to God, I'm a, I love God. And an hour and a half later, I catch them doing what they just swore they would never do. Right. So you're right. So you get, and one of the things when you first start law enforcement and they train you is when you get with your family, you get to where you start looking at your kids as criminals and your wife <laughs> or your husband as criminals because you're suspicious. Like you said, you're suspicious of everybody. Well, that is true for the kids. That, I think that is true for, all, especially the little ones. That, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, cause you only deal with that. You never get a call. Can you go by uh, Miss Mary's house? She's got a cake for you and some lemonade and she just wants to talk to you for a little while sit out there in the porch. You know, you don't get that call. You get the call, you know, husband just beat up wife, three kids in the house. You mm-hmm. just, you know, and so like you said, if we're not allowed to step back from that environment, that is their mindset to continually be in that environment. And only two days off, first day you're dreaming and think of everything you just dealt with the night before, then you got one day, then the next day you've got to go back to work. And so uh, it's something that needs to be changed. So I think that's number one. All right. Number two 
and I've said this for years, uh, it needs to change in law enforcement. There's so much pressure in many departments to be law enforcement officers and not enough to be peace officers. And what I mean by that is these officers so often are pressured to make arrests, put people in jail. And for example, uh, we'd work downtown and it's called augment on our days off. We'd work downtown just to be seen for the tourists and everything, you know, be there, be present. And the captain over at the time said, if you work that ship and you don't write tickets to put people in jail, you're not working no more. They didn't care that I talked to people from Sweden, people from South Carolina, Georgia, talked to kids. That wasn't important. When you got through it tonight, how many arrests did you make? Well, none. How many tickets did you write? None. So you worked five hours and didn't? Yes. Well, you know, you know and a lot of agencies have, now, I was never told as APD officer I needed to write more tickets. Uh, but, you know, they are, a lot of times, you're judge if you're a good officer or not by how many people you arrest or how many tickets you write. And go, well, officer so-and-so, man, he's good. He wrote 400 tickets last year and, <laughs> and put 800, you know, 80 people in jail. What yeah. did you do? Well, I only arrested half that and half that. What did you do in the rest of the time? Well, they don't care if I was in the housing complex talking to kids, playing ball, or if I was talking to people, you know. So we got to change that mindset where an officer is just as good if he doesn't write a ticket a day or puts right in jail a day, but he's making contact talking to people and that mindset has got to you know realize that we're more peace officers than we are law enforcement that officers. is uh, but the thing is a lot of these grants and stuff yeah that officers get a lot of the grants that departments get a lot of that is based on numbers so it's a numbers driven mm. you know if you can do this much and you get a grant to do this you know arrest this many people and do this much so i think that needs to be addressed in law enforcement across that is, the country. And that is actually something I spoke with uh, a, a reformer guy a couple of weeks ago, and he actually mentioned that very same thing. He talked about, like, you know, uh, specialized units, and if your whole job is to go out and, and get guns off the street, then you're going to be judged based on how many guns you get off the street, right? And if you don't get guns right. off the street, then what is your purpose, right? And, and that kind of mm-hmm. pressure that is... And, and that's, like you said, it's all over the place in all these different ways because... People are demanding accountability, right, from law enforcement and saying, well, we want to make sure that you're doing the job that we hired you to do. But right. how do you how do you measure relationships that you've developed on the beat, basically? What's the metric for that? I, I don't have an answer for you. Right. And, you know, when everybody talks about community policing, which, you know, when I work west, you know, an officer, you learn, you learn your businesses spend time talking to the business owners, to the patrons. And I'm not sure if I could drive down Haywood Road when I was first started. I could tell you that light should not be on in that barbershop. He never leaves that light on. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I see uh, his car is never here. Why is his car here this late at night? Or that door is always closed. And you learn your, your area, you learn your houses and your businesses, and you learn your people. So you learn this gentleman has mental problems. He's out walking tonight. I know how to deal with him. I know when I talk to him, he's going to cuss me, but he'll end up going home if I ask him to. And I've had people like that, you know, and I'd say, do you want to go to jail? He'd say, no. And I said, well, go home. And he'd cuss me all the way home. I mean, <laughs> I went out, I had a rookie with me. He ran after him. I go, where are you going? He goes, she's cussing. I go, leave him alone. He'll cuss, but he'll go home. We won't have to deal with him the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. So you learn, you know, you spend more time learning your community, learning your businesses, than having to say, well, I've got, and I, you know, I only got two hours left. I got to write some tickets. Yeah. I got to go find somebody to write a ticket to. 
And so that mindset has to change in law enforcement. Get away from the, you know, you're not judged by by numbers. You're judged by, you know, the community relationship that you build in your, your district. More with Rondell Lance in a minute. First, have you ever seen a photo of the Blue Ridge Mountains that's so amazing that you just get lost? You just keep looking at it and staring at it. You can't look away. That was me when I first saw Stacy Redmond's work at redrockphotonc.com. Stacy Redmond is from Western North Carolina, and he's been shooting landscapes for more than two decades, and he got into it because he realized life is short, you're not going to get time back, and you should do what you love, and you should spend as much time with the people you love. And so he made that conscious decision, uh, and he chased his dream. And it's worked out very well for him because his work is amazing. It's brilliant. It is affordable for any space. Uh, go to the website. Go look at some of this work yourself, and you're going to agree with me. It's amazing. See for yourself at redrockphotonc.com. And when you buy some, I'm not saying if, I'm saying when you buy some, use the promo code PETE for 20% off. I'm telling you, you're going to see stuff you didn't even know you needed, and you're going to see it at redrockphotonc.com. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Use promo code Pete for twenty percent off. I'm talking with Rondell Lance. He is the president of the local FOP here in Asheville. Uh, so uh, at this rate, I think it's going to be like a, a, a three-hour interview because we've only gotten through <laughs> how many of your uh, <laughs> how many of your uh, recommendations. You got work schedule. Uh, you got the performance metrics. What else? What what other reform ideas? Uh- Number three is, is a course that I took as an officer, as an older officer, as a supervisor. The best, well, the second best course I ever took in law enforcement. And it's called, uh, uh, used to be called World War Judo, but it's more uh, tactical communications. Okay. And I, a lot of officers are, are uh, hesitant to use it just because of all the, the steps. But it, and I've tried it, and the difference it made in dealing with people and dealing in vehicle stops and this is what it is. It's basically simply this. You do the same thing every time. If I stop a car, I first approach it and goes, I'm Sergeant Lance with the actual police department. The reason I stopped you tonight was you ran that stop sign. Is there any justifiable reason why you ran that stop sign? Immediately, they'll come up with something. Well, I didn't see it. I didn't pay attention. You go, okay. I said, do you have your driver's license, registration on you? If you do before you reach out for them, you know, where are they located in the car? And, and you just treat them with that respect and professionalism, you use that metric every time. Whenever you go to court, somebody accuses you, you go, nope, I always use this. And you say, thank you for your cooperation. And, you know, a lot of officers go, I ain't going to use that stuff. That's, but i seen it work. i seen, I mean, i stopped hmm. cars full of people that were, uh, I knew what, the type of criminals they were. But by using that respectful tone that's taught in tactical communications, I was amazed at the difference it made in using it on the streets. Okay. You use it with people too. And one of the big things it teaches, you know, you keep, you treat everybody with respect. You don't have to respect them. You may think they're a horde for what they do. You don't have to respect them, but you treat them with respect. If you're in their house, you go, I know this is your house, but can you do me a favor for your safety and mine? You mind sitting on the, you know, down on your couch. Mm-hmm. And they use the term kind of like a chameleon, whatever environment you go into, you're going to have to change to become part of that environment to reach them. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there's, you know, there's times when that can change. If all of a sudden they break bad or they grab a knife or a gun, then all that goes out the window and you do what you've got to do. Sure. But the initial contacts that's taught in tactical communications 
I've seen it personally work in, in my career, and it is it needs to be taught. And and you could do it probably in a two day course. You could push it maybe, but then every year it needs to be a fresher up for like four hours, just to remind the officers these other steps. It's a right. great program. I went through it. I was certified to teach it, and it's a uh, it's so that is something that's really needed in law enforcement. That type. When you deal with people, this is how you deal with them. Every officer you deal with people the same way. And oh. so that is a very important. That's All right. Number three. So number three. How many of these are there? Four. Okay, good. Four. <laughs> uh, All right. Number four. What number, do we got? <laughs> number four. And I think uh, and a lot of officers may not agree with me, but I've seen it. Uh, they, they'll tell you when you become in law enforcement, this job will change you. And they say that... Uh, it's best to get into it before you're married because it will change you. That's why divorce rate is so high in law enforcement. Alcoholism is so high in law enforcement. And we're having a tremendous, tremendous problem with suicides in law enforcement. I know five officers that worked in our area in the last 15 years that committed suicide, uh, two while they were actually still employed. Hmm. But I think after your first three years that you should be required to sit down with a psychologist or psychiatrist or psychologist, you know, to just say, Hey, where are you at? What feelings are you have now? You've been in three years. Are you having nightmares? Have you mm-hmm. seen stuff that still bother you? You know, and then after that three years, maybe the next three, do it again. Then after that, every five years, because you see so much, you deal with so much that it, it changes you. It sure. affects you. I can tell you, my first main call, Pete, was a 12-year-old girl in uh, Erskine Street Apartments that was shot between her eyes and her forehead. And I, and I tell it, I still get cold chills. The little girl laying there on her floor, blood everywhere, her mama holding on to her crying, blood everywhere. Amulets is not there yet. A friend of mine was stand, uh, bending over her, telling her to hold on, honey, hold on, honey. And so body would shake every once in a while. And two people were shooting outside at each other, and she looked out the window, and a straight bullet hit her right, and she died. And officers see this. I've had some of the young officers come up to me and go, Sarge, I'm tired of seeing dead bodies. I'm tired of it from suicides and, and car wrecks. And, and so I think I'm, uh, a truly mental evaluation every three years, for two years, and every five years after that. Because after a while, you know, you get to work. You can step over dead bodies all day long and eat a candy bar and drink a Coca-Cola because you have to build that up to be able to do this job. Now, the only thing that changes anytime there's kids, that's a whole different ballgame. Sure. But, you know, but you kind of build up a tolerance where you have to have. You see so many dead people. Mm-hmm. But I think that evaluation, because a lot of officers may have, you know, problems that they can relate to a psychiatrist and go, listen, I'm dealing with this. You know, I've seen this car wreck, four kids in it dead, you know. So I think that's the other thing that we many times the mentality of law enforcement officers and what they see and what they deal with day after day is forgotten. And they think that they're just, you know, it shouldn't bother them at all. And it does. You can't be human being and see what they see and deal with what they deal with and it not affect you and bother you. And so I think it would be very important to have that mentality rather than the officers holding it in, building mm-hmm. it up year after year after year. And sooner or later it's going to explode and it's been doing it. You look at the history, suicides in law enforcement, divorces in law enforcement, and alcoholism in law enforcement. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, could be traced to that. Yeah. So I think those four things 
can make a big, huge difference. But nobody's talking about that. They're just talking about how can we punish the police? How can we, you know, stop them from, but no, what can we do to help them be better? Is what can we do to make them less uh, involved in our lives? Right. And I think that's where, uh, that's the divide that needs to be, that needs to be brought together. More with Rondell Lance in a minute. First, now more than ever, you need Old Grouch's military surplus in your life. It's in downtown Clyde, and he's got an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies for all kinds of emergencies, from scrapes to gunshot wounds, with step-by-step instructions that anybody can follow and maybe avoid a trip to the COVID-ridden hospital. Body armor, all kinds, made to NATO specs, in-store or over-the-phone purchases only. Face masks made by locally disabled veteran family out of military parachutes, lightweight and soft. And, of course, the steel gas cans, the pre-band kind, the old-school ones. These things are very difficult to find. A lot of young people probably don't even know what I'm talking about. Tons of real U.S. military surplus for more than three decades. Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. And at oldgrouch.com. My guest is Rondell Lance. He is the Fraternal Order of Police president here in Asheville. And um, I do think one of the things that you mentioned there is the uh, the psychological uh, check-ins or evaluations. Um, and I think, and just talking to somebody, I think that goes a long way. And I think our society has actually uh, come a long way with recognizing the value of a lot of that. Uh, and whereas I think in the past it had a much greater stigma uh, than it does now, particularly for men, particularly for men in, uh, you know, types of lines of work where, uh, you know, it's a very sort of, I don't want to say macho, but like masculine type of a, of a, a job setting, you know, people, there's like, oh, I don't do that because it's a sign of weakness or something when actually no, you got to keep the mental health as well as the physical health or else it all starts to it'll all start to break down again this goes back to sort of the work schedule thing as well you know you get desensitized to that stuff and yeah you get gallows humor and you walk past you know uh, a dead body or something but uh, you know on the other hand it also affects the way you interact with people right it, it, like the way you are the stuff that you're exposed to for years it's going to affect the way you interact with people out on the street with citizens. And so it seems like that would be a good idea. So nobody ever asks these questions in city government. They're not interested in hearing this stuff when they're, because right now they're talking about overhauling and I think, what was the term? Reimagining the police. And uh, they're not, they're not asking you how to help them reimagine. No, I've not heard from anybody. And I've been president going on 24 years now. I've never been asked to sit in on, any type of conversation and how to change and make law enforcement better, how to make it better for the community and how to make it better for the police officers and their families. And so, uh, you know, and it makes you wonder, well, why do they not want to hear what we think? Now they may ask, uh, a supervisor, which is our chief, which is, he's, you know, they're going to be inclined to say what their bosses tell them to say, and they're not going to rock the boat because that's their job and they won't you know they're not going to speak their true mind because uh you know they're afraid of losing their job yeah there's the political level involved in in right yeah in that well and it it, which is it it 
this is one of my biggest frustrations in a lot of these types of discussions is it seems like there's this false choice like it's an either or proposition like it can mm-hmm. only be uh we're gonna we're gonna do this stuff that's gonna you know as you said earlier punish the cops or it's gonna be pro cop and they get everything and it's like well no there 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 can be multiple options on the table right we can we right. can Look at your four points and the voluntary compliance. Like that's one of the big ones for me. I've noticed. I never. W- I'm 45. I never would have thought of resisting arrest. Um, right. Yes, maybe maybe run if there's like a whole. Is it like you're at a keg party or something, and the and the cops right. show up, then everybody scatters. But if the cop is like near you and tells you to stop, then you stop, and you right. darn sure don't fight them. And it seems like there's a there's a cultural norm that's taken hold that resistance is not only acceptable but it's expected is that a right. new phenomenon that that you believe or, or or maybe i'm completely missing it no it's i mean uh i mean it's, the difference is it's glorified now mm. it's you fight the police and then the police didn't fight fair so i tried to hit the police i tried to strike him i tried to hurt him but he hurt me when he was doing that, and you want to blame the police. Well, if you would just, as we said, voluntary compliance, none of that would have happened. But uh, you ran, and I caught you, and I had to fight you, and you had to fight me. Then you want to file a complaint. The officer used force and done more than he should have, so then you want to turn around and make the police the bad guy when you all you had to do was put your hands behind your back and, you know, went to jail and get your attorney or go to court. The court will give you a free attorney, you know. And uh, the DA, more than likely here, he's liable just to let you go anyway. So, well, that's a whole other show. I fight and get hurt and hurt the police, you know. And so, but like you, you know, back what we the term we used in the old days when I first started, uh, and it was like if you run from the police, you fight the police. They're going to win every time. They're going to fight back, and they didn't. That's part of the game. They, they Criminals will tell them that's part of the game. I try to run, get away. You catch me. We get in the fight. You win. You break my nose, whatever. That's part of the game. I ain't mad at the police. That's what they're supposed to do because I did what I did. Mm-hmm. But now they antagonize and try to get officers to do uh, certain things, and everything's filmed now. Everything's on camera. Then they want to turn it all back on the police officer where, you know, I had a right to fight him. I had a right to strike him. I had a right to kick him. More with Rondell Lance in a minute. First, the triple zero deal is going on at Mattress Man. We just got through talking about the importance of getting a good night's sleep. Get a great night's sleep with a mattress from Mattress Man and their triple zero deal. It continues zero down, zero percent APR for up to 24 months, so interest-free, and zero payments for 90 days. You cannot lose with the triple zero deal at Mattress Man. And how about this? A gel memory foam mattress, queen size, for $3.99. Talk about a hot deal to keep you cool. And free bedding bundles, including sheets, protectors, and pillows, with the purchase of select mattresses. And remember, if the memory foam is not for you, it was for Christy and me, they have all different kinds of mattresses. They can help you. Their sleep consultants can help you pick the right mattress for you, whether it's a traditional inner spring mattress, pocketed spring Pillow top, natural latex, two-sided, hotel foam, hand-tufted, adjustable bases. They've got it all, and they're the only place you're going to find the Biltmore mattress line by Restonic, made out of Fayetteville, and these are the mattresses at the Biltmore Inn and Hotel. So 
Go on down to Mattress Man, any of their four local locations, Asheville, Arden, Hendersonville, or uh, go to their website, mattressmanstores.com. They do ship nationwide, and they have local five-star delivery service, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So Rondell Lance is the uh, the president of the local FOP, but also uh, this past weekend, uh, he went down and and marched with the anarchists uh although you were you weren't really marching with them although some of them wanted to march with you it seemed like you live streamed this right it's uh for over for over an hour i watched all of it and uh so first off why did you decide to go down to this protest march uh and and video it uh with your with your phone well one of the reasons is a lot of times they go down and they do things that the public knows nothing about. They don't see what they really do because they hinder people from filming them. They don't want to be filmed because they, they, they break the law, they cause chaos, they cause disruption in downtown Asheville. So I went to document that. I went to document their stance against law enforcement. And as president of the FOP, I stand for law enforcement. So I document the request that they were making you know, against law enforcement. And then to document so the public can see that, uh, that who they really are and right. what they're really about. And so, uh, and if I wasn't down there, you know, I know they have that night, they tried to shut down WLOS. And the next night they shut them down. Uh, this Matt Henson guy, he goes down there, but he does live views, but he does what they tell him to do. He stays far away. And so nobody was really down there. Chad, Chad Nesbitt sometimes is down there, but Chad couldn't be down there Saturday. To show the public and the community what this group is really about, what their intentions really are, and what they're wanting for the city of Asheville and the county of Buncombe. So basically, I was there, and if you, you know, I kept saying, I'm here to show how peaceful it is, but you're all making me out a liar. Right. <laughs> you know, I worked, I was on the bike team, I worked downtown. You remember when we had Occupy Wall Street, they uh-huh. camped out in front of, you know, so we've dealt with protests. I worked at the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte on the bike team, you know, used to dealing with protests, but we never had them get out of hand like this group has. We've never had them get violent, never had them turn on the police and try to break into businesses and disrupt businesses. So it's a whole different mindset, and I just wanted to document it for, you know, I thought maybe at most I'd have 20 people watching because I just want to show people what's really going on. And also to make sure... A lot of times the officers get involved, and that group is only one Scott video, and they keep it hid, and they make up false stories against police officers. It's also one document the actions of law enforcement to show that they are doing the correct thing. Mm-hmm. And so it just happened to turn out it turned out to be one of those nights when that crowd went went wild, and you know tried to break into Renaissance, and then they jumped the police officers there when they tried to make arrests. So yeah, and you were right there. In the middle of it, I've noticed there hasn't been a whole lot of coverage of what happened down there this weekend, um, this right. past weekend. Uh, WLOS has a story, but it's just basically, uh, uh, you know, APD made some arrests, a couple of officers got injured, minor injuries, and that, and then here are the names. Uh, but if right. you know who to look for in social media, you get the anarchist side of this story. Uh, do right. you or have you have you had a chance to take a look at what the folks over there, uh, what their interpretation of your actions were? Well, I'll tell you, they they said they oh, called yeah. you a far right harasser. 
<laughs> and right. Right. Uh, that you uh, that you shoved and yelled at protesters and that you attacked and arrested protesters and then the cops protected you, which was interesting right. because I watched the video and I didn't see you doing any of those things. You you were walking and they were surrounding you at all times on this hour long march around downtown. They were surrounding you and trying to block you from filming them uh, and. Uh, they were, you know, using colorful language against you. And then when it got violent, when the police officer was surrounded by the bicyclists and they tried to make an arrest, uh, that the cops didn't protect you. You went over there and tried to get the people off of the cops as they were trying to make an arrest. So that's that was my impression. Where right. What was your impression? Well, you're, you're correct. Uh, I mean, I tried my best to walk away from those people. Because I didn't want to be around them, but everywhere I went, they would two or three would follow me. Yeah, I'd, and I asked them. I said, "Are you ashamed of what you're doing? I'm just want to document it to show how peaceful you are." But everywhere I went, they would come around me, three or four or five, hold up stuff, try to block the view, and then. Uh, but the, the fight issue, and if you notice this, uh, I didn't know what was going on. An officer ran by me, went in the crowd to make an arrest. Right. None of those officers knew who I was, except for maybe one at that time. And uh, and if you listen, and I didn't find this until I talked to the officers afterwards. He mentioned it, and I went back and listened. You hear them hollering, Paul, P-A-W, Paul, 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 Paul. And when they hollered that, that's their term. They throwed their bikes down, and they jumped on top of the officers yeah. in a big pile. And that's a tactic they use. And you can hear them hollering that on I my did. video. And they're saying, Paul, 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 Paul. So they jump on them. One officer they had around the neck. They, uh, some of the officers got hit in the head. They were fighting against them. And uh, you know, they said, I brought a knife and dropped it. That knife, one of the guys that was arrested, that was a knife in his sheet. You can see his sheet. And it's in the property room under his name. Uh, uh, that, that came off of him. And and a lot of the police pushed me away and shoved me away. And I talked to him later and I go, you guys did right. You didn't know who I was. You right. should have pushed me away. You should have knocked me over. You know, and I stood on that knife. A girl started to pick it up. I said, don't you touch that. Right. And I stood on it, and I pointed down to the police officer. He confirmed, just elbowed me, pushed me back. And I, afterwards, you found out who I was. I go, he said, I'm sorry. I said, no, don't apologize. You've done exactly what you should have done. Right. You should have pushed me back. Because you didn't know who I was. Well, they tried to. I heard some people saying that it, uh, trying to say that it was you with the knife, that you had a knife. Yeah, no. You can look in the property room. It belonged to a guy they arrested. Mm. He had a, a thing on his side that it come out of, and it flew through the crowd. And that girl was trying to pick it up. You can see her trying to pick it up. Yep. Uh, I didn't. Even, I don't carry nothing. I didn't have a weapon. I don't carry a knife. I didn't carry anything. And so, uh, but th you go to park that knife in the property room under his name because it came out of his sheet. Yeah. Uh, that while they were trying to arrest him, and they arrested him. And so then. Uh, I was, yeah, I was trying to pull people off the police. I was telling them, get off the police, get off the police, and pulling them. And sometimes the police would look at me and push me out of the way because, like I say, they didn't know who I was. Yeah. I'd go back in to try to keep the people off of them. And uh, these were younger officers. I've been retired five years. Uh, some of them I didn't know, never had seen. They didn't know me. I met with them all afterwards and talked to them to make sure they was okay and told them how proud I was, how they handled that. Yeah, but you were also officers, wearing, wearing a mask. veteran officers. Yes, I had a mask yeah. on, a hat on. And there's only two officers there that I worked with that knew me. The rest of them uh, didn't know me. Well, actually, some of them knew me as FOP president, but they didn't know me as, you know. So they were pushing me, too, which is they should have, mm -hmm. because they were in the struggle there. 
But then, you know, the girl grabbed my phone, swung at me and grabbed my phone and throwed it. We finally got it back. Uh, then they accused me of, you know, when she threw the phone, I grabbed her to hold her to tell the police she stole my phone, you know, and they grabbed her from me and because uh, they seen her do it, you know, and they accused me of hitting her, knocking her. <laughs> like, the girl stole my phone. I just grabbed her and hold on to her because she stole my phone. That phone cost a lot of money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it was, uh, and then the officers, they didn't know me. They come up to, you know, and they were coming after me. That crowd want me to stop filming and saying I saw to that girl and that I hit her. I go, I didn't hit nobody. And the officer said, and he didn't know who I was. He said, can you just go ahead and walk away because you're causing them to fight. You're causing them to get stirred up. And uh, I res- perceived it as he even trying to give me a way out of the crowd, whether he knew me or not. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But I took it as he's trying to give me escape out of this crowd by telling me to leave. And so I did. And I didn't want to make it worse for police. So I walked a long way around. Still had one guy follow me, threatening to fight me, wanted to even lock me out, put me in the hospital. But he said all that as he was walking away from me. He never would come to me. And so uh, I made it back to the station. And I stayed there with those guys uh, when they got out. What got me the most, the guy that had the knife on him, they charged him as assault and several charges. He had two warrants on him for failure to appear in court. Two warrants. Written promise. Walked right out of there. To go right back to be right back involved with that group and go after he could possibly went after the officers that arrested him. Right. So that's got to stop. And, you know, I understand the DA and, and all of this stuff, but if somebody's in a riot, that's what it was. It wasn't a protest. If somebody's in a riot and they get put up by the police, we want to have something where you hold them for at least five hours till the riot's over before you let them go back. You don't let them go back and join the crowd. Yeah. And that aggravated me so much that he did all that and they put him right back out on the street. Yeah. If you're a law enforcement officer listening to this and thinking about buying or selling a home and getting out, um, then please call Rowena Patton because she's the only official Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. Uh, This is a national program, Homes for Heroes, that is available to police officers as well as firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military. Uh, You will keep uh, more of your own money. You get 25% back from the realtor commissions. And she's given back uh, almost $800,000 so far to local folks in those five professions. Her phone number is 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. And start packing. Uh, I've kept you way longer than uh, I uh, promised, so I appreciate you spending the time with me. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that you think is important or interesting for folks to know that you haven't already covered? Yes, one thing, and I think it makes a big difference to the men and women in law enforcement. I was in Swannanoa when they had that uh, drive through town, and you know, close to a 1,000 people there on motorcycles and cars that showed the officers in, in our community. But the majority of the people in Buncombe County and Nashville support them, stand behind them. That video I did, and I've had over 45,000 views on that video of the motorcycles coming through Nashville showing support for the officers. And we're working on putting together another big event to show support for the officers. There are going to be shirts made, banners made. To let these men, they are so discouraged. I talked, a lot of them have left. Some of them have completely got out of law enforcement. Mm. And some are going to different jobs in different counties where it's not like Bunko. And to let these men and women know that we stand behind them, we support them. You know, and, and what gets it, Pete, is this. A lot of the guys that was there with us and showing support, many of them have been arrested two or three times. And they said, <laughs> I was arrested. 
I put my hands behind my back. I went to jail. I did wrong. And I'm not here to support because I've got family. We need law and order in our community. And we stand with law enforcement because we need law and order. We can't let this continue. It's in our this group and, and Antifa continue in our county. So the support is there. And just continue to support the men and women that are trying to do this job under these horrific conditions. Rondell Lance, the FOP local chapter president. Thanks for your time today, sir. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. It's been a, been a pleasure. Thank you for letting me uh, get on here and talk about these issues. Now, if you have issues with your website, then I have got a recommendation for you. Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design. You probably know how to run your business. I'm not going to tell you how to do that, but you probably don't know how to run a website like Schaefer Smith can help you. Um, He does professional services, corporate, small business, entrepreneurs. He can help you with graphics and photos and online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He does logos. He does it all. You need to turn up in search engine results and you want it to look professional and user friendly. You know your uh, website is really important to your business. So get Schaefer Smith to help you with your site and uh, get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. And speaking of all of the protests, here is an update to a story out of Wisconsin, a state senator that took photos of a crowd as it was toppling two statues during a protest in June. State Senator Tim Carpenter, a Democrat from Milwaukee, by the way, got attacked in Madison uh, and Uh, He says, I don't know what happened. All I did was stop and take a picture. And the next thing I'm getting five, six punches kicked in the head. And two people within this angry mob uh, have now been identified by police as Samantha Hamer and Kerida O'Reilly, both of Madison. They surrendered to the police and they are now facing charges of substantial battery as a party to a crime and robbery with use of force as a party to a crime. Um, Hamer is a social worker for the school district there, and O'Reilly is a licensed physical therapist. A nearby reporter told the police roughly 10 people proceeded to kick and punch the state lawmaker as he tried to explain that he was an ally to the demonstrators. The assault took place just after a Molotov cocktail was tossed into a government office in Madison, where protesters also tore down two statues, including one of Colonel Hans Christian Haig, an abolitionist who died while fighting for the Union in the Civil War. Just in case you are curious about how ignorant these protesters are about their history. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate that. Give it a positive review. Consider becoming a patron of the program. Links are all in the description of the podcast and at thepetecalendarshow.com. Talk to you later. Thanks for the support. Don't break anything while I'm gone.